Welcome to the Marketing Intern Spotlight. A marketing intern is a listener who's spreading our message authentically. Hear their story, their passion, and their journey. Enjoy. Well, hey, welcome to the, welcome to the studio, man. Oh, thank you. What are you uh, thinking? The, the Back Pocket Podcast. We're here. We're live. <laughs> we're live. So your first podcast on a couch, you, you're sitting pretty comfortable, I hope. Yeah, I am. I'm very comfortable. Yeah, and we're not going to say it, but we'll say it. We've had probably 100 people sit on that couch uh, before you in this in the last calendar year. How's it? Is it is it forming yet, or is it? Yeah, it's, you could tell 100 people been on here. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them maybe heavier than others. <laughs> no, I'm just like. <laughs> I think you're the you're definitely the tallest to be in it. We had Chad Greenway on. He came, he's probably a close second. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, it's a big man. Yeah, it is a big man. I'm glad it's not like the structural integrity is actually still being maintained, mm-hmm. which is uh, good for the corp. Uh, we yeah. allegedly have business insurance if anything were to happen. So do not worry, KJ. That's cool. Yeah. But hey, um, welcome. I, you know, it's really fun because, uh, you know, I met you, I think I've known you for a while, to be honest. I just got into comedy over a year ago and I've been seeing you at Sisyphus. I've been seeing you at House of Comedy, oh. all these other, all over the place, but really actually got to meet you, what, two, three weeks ago. Yeah. We were at Underground Music Cafe. Yeah. The, the Comedy of the Crane. The comedy of the Crane. Yeah. Which was really fun. Watch you, watch you tell your new uh, fantasy football joke, which oh. I was telling Andy about. One oh, of my yeah. favorite. It killed in Missouri this weekend, too. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, there must have been a lot of football fans down there too, with the uh, with uh, Sunday Night Football, yeah, kind of being down in that way, and with Kansas City. Yep, mm-hmm. Kansas City's hot there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that, man. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited because uh, you're actually the first person to ever offer me a spot on a show. So thank you. Ah, no problem, man. I I I try to, you know, be a positive influencer with younger or new comics, whatever. Because like. I remember a guy named Dennis Anton, and we were over at the Welch's Big Ten. I think it was Scott Hansen's room, somebody like that. But anyway, I asked him, man, how do I get bookers and get and get more gigs and stuff? And Dennis was so nice. I'll never forget this. He said, he said, what's your email? I gave him my email, and he sent me a list of about 10 to 15 different bookers and got me started. And yeah, that was like, I was like, oh man, he didn't have to do that. But he was like, nah, you funny, man. I, I'm, I'm going to help you out. And and he just said, nah, just do me a favor. When you're in a position someday, help younger comics out. Mm-hmm. Hey. And that's what I do. And that's kind of been the model that I've been seeing coming, like as a bystander mm-hmm. and then having, having conversations with like Khadija Cooper and Tommy Bayer and uh, Lisa Evanson also local comics here in the twin cities they're all preaching the same thing like the the give back helping other people you know make the name for themselves yeah yeah i mean because comedy i mean it can be some comics take a very competitive stance with it they think that that is that they're competing with other comics and you're not you just there's enough for everybody to eat and you just gotta find your voice get in your lane and enjoy your your journey travel your roads take your bumps take your lumps and just keep going and have fun if you're not having fun then you're in it for the wrong reason so mm-hmm. you Absolutely. gotta have fun don't have a lot of expectations because expectations turn into rejections and they turn into uh substance abuse 
<laughs> escalates very quickly. It escalates very quickly. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I know we, we actually just listened to a podcast with you on uh, the Mill City. And we know a little episode bit number you. one. Episode number one. Wow, you really kicked them off. Your episode number like two hundred and something. We lost count at this oh, point. Wow. And that's not a brag on our end. We're just just had to put it out there. Oh, that's mm-hmm. okay. I'm good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but you know, we know a little bit about you. Would you, um, I guess, let's break down yeah, your story from exactly. when you uh, were a uh, NBA summer leaguer. Oh, okay, this how that happened. Um, I went to Southern University, New Orleans. I played there, right? And then I went back for my sophomore season. They didn't have any scholarships. Uh, they had one a year before I was on. I was on a full scholarship. And then I said, hey, um, uh, I can't go back home because I got like eight brothers and sisters and two cousins. So I walked on at the University of New Orleans. And then they sent me to a junior college in Florida. Um, I played there, and then I, they had such a stringent academic requirement. Like, you had to graduate. Uh, you had to take a test equivalent to a graduate school entrance test to get your two-year degree. I fumbled around with that test. I had to take an extra semester. I didn't mind because I was in Florida. <laughs> yep. right. And then so I went back home. And my mom was like, no, nah, I need you to go ahead and finish that degree you promised me. So I went down to Missouri Western State, and I played a, only a year. I didn't like the coach. We had a lot of problems. And then afterward, I went out to the NBA Summer League, and I played so good. I had two teams of interest, Minnesota and North Carolina. And then I called my auntie up. I said, hey, auntie, can my grandmother live here and cousins live here? So I had a little bit of family live here, and I called my auntie up. I said, hey, auntie, how was – Minnesota, and she said, "Oh, you love Minnesota. The white girls love brothers." <laughs> <laughs> I like. I'm on my way. <laughs> yep. Book that. Book the flight the next day. Yeah. So I got here, and I worked out, and I met um, a lady who was friends with the with Harvey Rotner's wife. Or she was best the friend. owner of the, yeah, the Twins at the time. Yeah, at the time, they gave me a lifetime membership to uh, Northwest Fitness. And then Lifetime Fitness uh, bought them. But, um, yeah, I used to hang out and uh, work out. with. Uh, they had Sam Mitchell, Pooh Richardson, all that. We worked out the Target Centers. And then they used to work. We used to work out at 98th Street. And, um, yeah, I was I was really trying to give it a try. And then I, I'm, I think I messed up my ankle real bad, like all the ligaments or something. Because you were quick, too, I'm guessing. You had a quick, two. You were playing good defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could play. I could post up. I could shoot three. I could drive. And all I needed to work on was my wing defense because mm-hmm. I was more of a, a inside, outside. I'll start inside, but I could shoot outside. Gotcha. And, uh, and so over the years, um, I just um, I didn't get the dream I wanted. But now that I'm an entertainer, I kind of fell into this. I feel like I have the dream I need now. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So how did you, uh, I guess, quote, unquote, fall into the dream? I know we're talking you're in the NBA around, what, 89? Yeah, I just I was just in the NBA Summer League. And like I said, um, I came here. I met friends. With hey, the, no need to say Summer League. You were in the NBA. Yeah. Well, Come on now. Uh, well, it's just the Summer League. I didn't get to play in the real regular season. So it's just the Summer League. <laughs> Um, 
it's uh, over the years, like the the next few years after that happened, um, man, I kept working out. I got a chance to work out with uh, Kevin Garnett a little bit. We used to play at uh, St. Louis Park. Randy Moss was there. People don't know that he played with White Chocolate. Uh, Jason, I can't think of Jason. Jason life. Williams. Yes. Mm-hmm. He used to play with him in Virginia, in West Virginia. I'll tell you this story. It's a funny story. We was working out. Randy was on my team. I remember getting a rebound. I let it to Randy. And I know him and Chris Carr had been talking smack. And then I think uh, Chris Carr didn't realize that Randy was a real hooper. But when I threw this outlet pass to him, Randy went down. And I think it was like it was a pickup game. It was tied. And all I remember was Randy just – he just went up. He just kept going up. Chris Carr went up the rocket, but Randy just kept going up and up. And then I remember him slamming on Chris Carr, and everybody got up and ran out the gym. <laughs> Game. And then Randy's like, go home, motherfucker. To <laughs> so Chris Carr. Yeah. Oh, that's so smooth. Yeah. It was probably, he caught that outlet, outlet pass and like three dribbles. dribbles. Just- <laughs> you know, he had like a 44-inch something. He had an insane vertical, and he had 4-2 speed. Mm-hmm. He was a freakish <laughs> athlete, man. Just, a, you know. Just one of those once in a lifetime kind of athletes, man. Yeah. How was uh like the Twin Cities back in the day? Where you, I assume you were living probably around the area in Minneapolis. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was fun, man. I had so much fun. Um, I used to get confused with being Sam Mitchell. Um, yeah. So. Cue Sam I, Mitchell photo right here. Yeah, we'll yeah. get you. You know, <laughs> and uh, I met Sam. I think we was playing. Uh, we was playing downtown Tarkerson or whatever, and Sam was pretty cool. But like. Off the court, uh, a lot of women, you know, would call me Sam. And like, hey, Sam, you know, you want to come over and have a little drink with us? And let's go out and party, whatever. And so uh, I thought about it. I said, oh, you know what? I, I, they don't know the difference, so let's just go, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> so I would hang out with ladies, and, you know, it was a fun time in Minnesota back then. I met some really – beautiful women and uh yeah it was cool because like i used to hang out with uh, my aunt she showed me the fashion game she's like yeah we're gonna go out to these uh really uh unique stores and different stores like that thrift stores and i would find like full length leather coats meat coats stuff like that so i was like because i always loved fashion gq so i would look at reggie theas dr j how they dressed up back then so i was like okay i'm gonna I'm put on some fly shit and uh women always thought i was in the league and so for the first two three years i lived here uh i kind of felt i kind of felt felt like i was sam mitchell <laughs> 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 off the court with the ladies but um it was just a fun time man it was you know being you know i met prince one time Really? Um, no way. Yeah, we was at we was in First Avenue and uh Prince walked up to me. He said, Hey Sam, I've been watching y'all play. And at that moment I had to be Sam. I said, Nice to meet you, Prince. And then we 
We walked downstairs and Sam was downstairs. You could see the confused look on Prince's face. <laughs> like, like, which one of you, you motherfuckers is saying? <laughs> no way. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, man, Sam, man. And, uh, yeah, man, it was fun, man. I had, as a young 25, 26-year-old, I probably fulfilled me. And now I look back, probably about 70% of my fantasies. Because ball players, you know, they women just love ball players, man. It's, oh yeah, and the T pops were good then too with KG yeah. and Sam Cassell. Yeah, they mm-hmm. was just coming in uh, around that time because uh, KG came in what about I think a few years later, ninety five or ninety three, something like that. Sounds around, about right. Yeah, around there, mm-hmm. and then he was just man, he's a beast. I actually did two commercials with him. I have a picture on my Instagram site where I did one of the commercials. I showed my youngest son, who's like 14, 6'5". God. Yeah. I remember him. Uh, some people used to ask me, you know, all the time, you know. I tell this joke in my routine, you know, about not making it to the NBA. They said, uh, you know, I think one of my uncles would ask me, like, KJ, you know, man, uh, why, why, why you didn't make it to the NBA? <laughs> and I told him, I said, honestly, when I was in the workouts and the trials, I could not block Kevin Garnett's balls from swinging in my face after he dunked on me. <laughs> that dude is a seven-foot orangutan swinging on the rim. I got ball sweating, ball juice coming out on my forehead. I mean, it's embarrassing because I was trying to buy my mama a house and he was killing my dream. <laughs> I was just trying to be a goddamn practice player. He was killing my dream. I, I said I can dunk on him on an NBA PlayStation Live. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. You know? Did you uh did you happen to meet your wife acting as Sam? Did I happen to meet who? Your wife as Sam as Sam? Because you know, you're meeting all these pretty women and, and whatnot. Did you? Now, I met my wife uh, later on, my first wife. I'm on my second wife now. <laughs> my first wife I met probably when I was 36, but we dated for four years. It was around a little bit after that, but she was an editor for Star Trip. She kind of got me into the writing aspect. I was a spoken word artist before I was a comedian. Wow. I have a CD out on one of my YouTube uh, pages with my real name, Kaleki Javay. You see uh, this character I created, uh, uh, Late Night Poet. And that's my nickname was Late Night back then in, in the day because I had a lot of NBA friends that would come by uh, my my place. I had a roommate named Tony Williamson, and we had this huge six bedroom house. North Minneapolis spiral case, you know, just player pad. And, mm-hmm. and women, Sounds like this. <laughs> yeah, it's just women loved it. It was down the street from this club called Riverview. And uh, women loved to come by. We would throw these parties. And it was fun time, man. Back then, Kirby Puckett, you know, all, it was it was, it was, was just a fun time, you know. And I was young and just, just having fun, man. You know, when you're young, you're in your 20s, you know, you oh, just, and you're rolling around with all those people? Yeah. I mean, just, you got to be smiling ear to uh, ear, yeah, having man. a great time. Yeah, it was just a fun time. Man. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's something about my past with basketball. I still I still play, you know, even to today. I, I'm about to get back on court and play two, two, two three times a week. I had, like, a, a inflamed shoulder 
shoulder uh, rotor cuff, but I did the PT treatment, physical therapy, and got it back. And then as I got my personal trainer's license, I really know how to, you know, to find the right exercises to to strengthen it where I can get back on the court. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, and you got to body up your 6'5 kid and let him know, like, hey, this is 80s, 90s oh, basketball. Oh, yeah, You're not yeah. getting around with this butterfly yeah. stuff. No, nah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I got to I gotta teach him because he's still growing. I don't know if he's going to be 7 foot. You know, <laughs> might be a little, you know, find out your cash cow down the road. <laughs> <laughs> you got to muster him up and get a scholarship and whatnot. It's got to happen. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do want to tap in a little bit, you know, after your career in the NBA, um, you know, what, what was, uh, what kind of came after that? And I went up to, I played in this league called the IBA, International Basketball Association. They had had a team in St. Cloud and, uh, we went down to, uh, Winnipeg to play and, and that was like probably the last year I played. I think I was about 32 or whatever. Okay. And uh, I met this beautiful girl. I remember at the end of the season. And she said, they got a team here, you should stay. And I stayed in Winnipeg. She worked for Air Canada, so we used to fly back and forth. And um, she was a, she was cool. And I thought about marrying her and whatever, but I was stubborn. Uh, I was stubborn a little bit with women. I mean, I just was scared of commitment. So I, I let a pretty one slip by. But a lot of pretty ones slip by. But Yeah, women just, are frightening, man. Women, yeah, women are... They're a different creature, man. I love them, and we can't do nothing in the world without them. But yeah, they will. They will put you in a trick bag too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Because didn't you? Uh, you said you te- taught for a little bit, right? Right. Yeah, I taught for. I was in Minneapolis public school system probably about seventeen years. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. And I was like a, a support staff before I was a teacher. I I would work. Uh, the elementary school over south um man i when i first came to the district i taught basketball classes and then i was a support class a support staff person for artistic students Mm. so i really delved into special ed and then they had a program that came available where i got my teacher's license and I, I had to sub up until i got them but it was called it's called q collaborative urban educator it was at st thomas which i was just telling you about yeah i didn't finish my graduate degree but yeah i went there and and then yeah i worked my last school that i was at i was a teacher at was dunwoody high school and you know they closed it and so when i got laid off i collected unemployment for about three years because obama was in office he kept extending that unemployment i kept extending it with it and uh I just hit the road, and I like. Then I had just got married for my second time. I like, I told my wife, I said, I kind of like being a comedian. I kind of like the freedom. I kind of like seeing people laugh and making a difference in with humanity. And being an artist, I said, babe, I, I don't think I could go back working for anybody else. I just have to figure it out as an entrepreneur and. And most entrepreneurs through the years, you always still a work in progress of figuring it out. You know, you just keep going until you build the kind of find out your portfolio or whatever you want to achieve. And, you know, with being a business owner or working for yourself, that's awesome. a lot of a lot of free. It's a lot of perks to it. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of challenge, too, because like you when you rolling, you roll 
you better pay your rent up for two, three months, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when you're not, you're not. You just got to, you know, accept where you're at and, and, and face it and know that other opportunities are coming. Because so. you're traveling across, like, the Midwest. Yeah, the Midwest. Uh, I actually got to go back to L.A. Um, November. I'm pitching a film treatment for my own stand-up special with Tony Woods. I wrote the film treatment called A Happy Hour of Comedy. The Happy Hour of Comedy, the name came from where you'll be on the show with us November 9th uh, at Underground Music Cafe. The, the theme come from, like, me and Jimmy are two uh, sober comedians. We're substance-free, and uh, I've been sober for seven years. Jimmy, probably 10, 15 years, whatever. And uh, so we, I came up with the concept of, uh, you know, two comedians like like the drink concept except we're not drinking we just want to provide a happy hour of comedy yeah the, at the root of it it's that you're you're providing the happiness and the laughter yes yeah so that's yeah so uh i took that same theme and wrote the film treatment for me and tony woods because tony i asked tony and he was recently popped in town for a minute i took him out to house of comedy to meet steve you know the manager and i asked him about that and he's like man I don't have a Netflix special, but if you can get it, get it for us. He said, I don't even want to do an hour. I just do a half an hour. And I was like, well, bet. Let's go for it. That is incredible. Yeah. You got to walk me through kind of how that process is because that is like, it's cutthroat in there. I mean, there's a lot of people trying to get those spots. And when you're writing a film treatment, is yeah. that just kind of like the outline and like yeah, kind of the presentation of what yeah. it could look like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the presentation. Um, and I, I, study a lot i don't know if people understand this about me but i study a lot and i study other people's careers and eddie murphy today Chappelle. i study how the most popular comedians or the most successful ones they use their other other talent they produce they write shows like the, he had the sketch comedy show remember dave Chappelle had the sketch so yep. he had writers he had paul mooney he had charlie murphy eddie's murphy mm-hmm. you know brother on there and i realized that I, you know, being a, a former educator, I'm I'm a pretty good writer, and I should use the skill set to help promote my whole branch of uh, entertainment and my other skill sets. Um, I think for me, I don't know, I, I feel like kind of a renaissance kind of guy because I don't just do stand-up, but stand-up is my number one love. But I do acting, writing, modeling. Uh, like I said, I started my career as a spoken word artist called Late Night Poet. I, I did. The, I was one of the first in the city to do an album with neo soul, R and B, jazz beats behind it. Like, like I tell the, the joke about like you know when I used to write poetry, I I thought it was for me, but it really was for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wrote poems like cotton panties, <laughs> uh, the sweetheart thing. Uh, yeah, I was just at a book release. Uh, thing for my sister who did a poetry book and she's like can you do a little something I said I can't do it without the music I need the music so the DJ put on a little music like the art of noise and I did this thing uh, called baby Africa it was it was dope man <laughs> that's killer that's so cool yeah. can we get a couple copies and hey, I want to do a like read your poem in our voices oh yeah you can get a couple co- I'll send you a okay. couple of poems I, <laughs> I have some in my phone man I keep like like last night I was up, I watched Dolomite, right? And I felt inspired. So I wrote a little poetic thing about, you know, how social media is, how like, I feel like 
when you when you America is so desensitized to bullshit that when they get real shit it feels foreign and that was a little bit I I, I put 327 AM I wrote that last night it's on my I didn't get not one fucking like but I wrote this shit (laughs) (laughs) on Facebook on my regular page nobody it probably wasn't nobody up but anyway I I got at 1 o'clock I put out another post I said America is so used to bullshit that when somebody puts some positive shit on there it sounds foreign Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you know you bring up a good point and I think uh you know, there's there's guys out there right now like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. If you ever heard of him, he's uh, he's kind of like a serial entrepreneur, but he's um, he's really blasting um, positivity out there. And in the last, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, but I would say three to five years. That sounds about right. He's blown up in a in a big way just what? from promoting like gratitude, empathy, just like in your face. And he's all about you know. What's his name again? Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm gonna have to look him up, man. Yeah, because because like if he's blowing up on positivity, that's the lane I want to be in. Because I think that we're we're living in a world that is becoming very, very toxic. Like negativity, the news you can only take so much. I think for the younger generation, and I'm a little bit older. I'm 56, but I'm just speaking for the younger generation. I think uh, the millennials, I think, need to. Um, help make the the news outlet more accountable of giving America more positive shit. I mean, we can't keep, you know, there's got to be some optimism for younger people, you know, like to view the world as like, hey, we could be the gatekeepers coming up. We can we can change the directions and, you know, because politics right now is off the chain, man. Mm-hmm. It's off the chain, man. Yep. I mean, there's no accountability. I mean, our current uh, president or whatever I mean is breaking all the rules all the rules and we're know, just letting it slide we just letting yeah. him slide he getting a pass on everything you know Obama couldn't get a pass on none of this shit he did none of it mm-hmm. I mean and I heard Rachel on NBNSC whatever that is and she went through his his thing of all his accomplishments and things like that and she rate they rated him as a top five president of all time all the shit that he accomplished. But, you know, I mean, nobody, they're not going to mention that. She did, but I'm just saying that we want young people to be politicians. We want young people to be leaders. We want them to be uh, positively influenced of American culture. Then we need to get some type of accountability going for, going for what's happening now. I mean, I mean, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I don't care. Whatever party you choose is fine. I respect that. But just treat people or treat America with the – because it's the ugly history here in America. It, it, it needs to to create momentum of positivity and, and, and change, man. Absolutely. I mean, there's no accountability for the ugly history of America. But, like, today – we're in a position to create change. We're in a position to 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 give hope. We're in a this is considered one of the greatest countries in 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 the world, but it has one of the greatest uh, uh, damaging and inflicting you know paths. So we need to change that with you know positivity. With positivity, I agree, man. Um, and I'm sorry, Andrew. I'm just jumping in real quick, but like you you mentioned, like looking up to leaders and like different people. 
you know, in the 50 plus range of like, who's really at the, at the hold of, you know, the leash of America right now. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I would be really curious to see like what people in their twenties, like who do they look up to right now? Um, and for me, it's like, I'm kind of just a knucklehead comedian. I do podcasting and I'm an engineer just graduated from college. Like my (laughs) full transparency, my, uh, like my favorite leader or someone who I look up to is literally Joe Rogan. That's fine. I right? mean, at, at least Joe Rogan is, is, is trying to make an impact in the world. I mean, he's servicing humanity with laughter. He is, he's being a leader within his career, his craft. I mean, Joe Rogan is, is a businessman too with comedy. He's brought comedy store back. Comedy store was dying until Joe Rogan, you know, put him on with the podcast he put him over i mean and right. then it made and then and he made a huge prof, profit for himself too doing it so absolutely he's got like the what the number one bo- podcast now or something like that oh for sure it's the number one podcast yeah yep. i mean he made podcasts fashionable for everybody you know what i mean yeah so, and that's i mean that's the reason why we're doing it is because yeah. of joe rogan and it's helped us uh, like so much because we get to have conversations like you with you uh-huh. um on a random monday night like someone that i haven't had a chance to have a conversation with who's done a lot of cool things and get to hear your life story and then you get to give me some wisdom and i get to walk away a better person oh. and because joe rogan kind of provided that saying like yo be cool and have a conversation for an hour because that's when you're gonna actually like learn something oh absolutely man you know uh Growing up, I had a father that was a living room comedian. You know, he had a little bit of Red Fox in him, Dick Gregory. He had a little bit of uh, Lenny Bruce. He had a little bit of everybody in him. And, and uh, you know, it's just the one thing that I remember is, like, listen to learn and learn to listen. It'll take you a lot. Take It'll take you places in life. And uh, I was like, okay, listen to learn, learn to listen. Okay. And so uh, – Learning, he said, is a lifetime deal. You will always be learning. You will probably always be a work in progress. But at the end of the day, your actions and what you're trying to achieve in life will speak for you long after you're gone. And I'm like, okay, positive. I said, how many years you went to college? Oh, I just went too until I got your mama pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome, man. So, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that back to Gary, he kind of has this quote, if you're looking for good, piece of cake. If you're looking for bad, piece of cake. All I'm asking is, what the fuck are you looking for? Absolutely. And people are kind of like stuck in their ways of just like ser- searching and seeking out the bad and then just blowing it up. And it's so unhealthy and it's not doing any anyone any good. And when you're talking about how like you put out that post at three in the morning and it didn't do well, it's like people aren't searching for good. They want to see the bad and they want that to go viral. Yeah, that's true. And that's the way we have conditioned ourselves in this country to to seek bad. And we gratify it more than we do positive shit. We gratify the bad boy, the villains, and then the, the real heroes are overlooked. You know, like even in music, even in hip hop, the the real lyricists don't get any airplay. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, the 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 stupid shit. You know, oh, it's hot. You know, mumble rap, mumble rap, eating salad out of her ass. You know, <laughs> do, you, do you listen to Kanye's new album yet? No, I haven't. Do you I, like Kanye at all? Or? I used to when he was College Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like now, I don't, I don't understand him. I mean. I just don't get it. You yeah. Know? I mean, I listen to uh, Kendrick Lamar as far yep. as new new 
I asked uh, J. Cole, uh, mm-hmm. I listen to lyricists. You know, I, I, I have, if I'm going to listen to something, I want it to make sense. Otherwise, I can't listen to what misogynist, uh, braggatory rap. I, it, it just not feed my soul. Music for me, the way I was raised was always Motown, jazz, R&B. Music was, was meant to be uplifting, uh, inspiration, uh, you know, it would it would help you dance. It would release happy chemicals from your brain, like dopamine, serotonin, and you know, make you feel good. So I I want music that makes me feel good. I can't listen to something that's not feeding my soul. Mm-hmm. It's just not good for me. Yeah, I pick up on that a lot of times now. When uh, we were uh, we were actually at a place the other day where I saw uh, Beatles lyrics on the staircase, uh-huh. and it was uh, you know I. Get, or I, uh, what is it? I try with a little help from my friends. I get by with a little help from my friends. I get high with a little help from my friends. It's with a little help from my friends, friends. from the Beatles. It's yeah. like, dude, that song is awesome. Like, that speaks to me. Yeah. 60s song or 60s, 70s. Yeah. Then I was like, oh man, maybe I should like, let's look at like what, what let's like, like let's put Kanye in the box right now. What would, what, what do lyrics on a wall look like from Kanye? Drop it to the floor, make that ass shake. Whoa. Make the yeah. ground move. That's an ass quake. Build a house upon that ass. That's an ass state. Well, my weed on it, that's an ashtray. doesn't work. Like, it's yeah. not, it's No, it doesn't different. work. It's different. I mean. <laughs> can't relate to it. I can't relate either. I mean, what kind of ass was it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got to ask. <laughs> you know, what kind of, you know, I, I can't relate, man. Like I said, I relate to old school. Eric B., Rakim, Grandmaster Flash, Curtis Blow. Yeah. Uh, Tupac, uh, Biggie. I relate to old school stuff. But, like, new stuff, you know. Kendrick is cool. J. Cole, you know, there's a few of them I know. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I can't. I just have to. I have to be able to understand what I'm involved in. I'm not finna waste my time and energy with shit that's just not making sense for me. Man. You play the instrument, uh, an instrument, right? No, uh-uh, and I'm just a lyricist. Like I okay. just, I, I, I play with words. I'm a wordsmith in terms of uh, with music. I can, you know. No, I haven't learned how to sing. I try. I think I in my future I want to learn how to sing. You know, I can't sing, but. I can make words feel like they're singing and speaking them as a lyricist, you know. Okay. But no, I haven't. I have some. I bought back some Congos from Africa when I went to Africa. I bought back some Congos, but I dap on them just to, you know, get feel, a beat going. Yeah, feel the rhythm, you know, with my ancestors or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. With a cigar in your mouth. With yeah. a cigar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so tapping a little bit more back into, you know, when you started as a comic, mm-hmm. so that you started more into comedy, was it right when the re- recession hit and you got laid off your teaching job? It, it was a little bit before the recession hit. Um, <clears throat> I've probably been doing about 15 years now, I think. Um, like I said, when I first started going, I was a semi-finalist and finalist in Acme, Acme's Funniest Person. Yeah. And then a couple of years after that, I started hitting the road, man. I started hitting the road wow. and just kept going. Uh, just realized, uh, I went to, I've been to about 10 or 15 comedy festivals. It was one time where I, I, I didn't know if I was going to keep going. I, I think the Detroit Comedy Festival, this is really what happened. I, I was, I, I went to uh, Trial by Laughter Comedy Festival with Steve. Hostetter, whatever he's he's kind of big comic you know out of la he was producing comedy festivals i went there 
and uh, I didn't win. I felt like I got robbed in, in Indianapolis. It was a Comcast was recording all that. And then I think I went to Detroit Comedy Festival. Lewis Black was hosting it. And I remember being in the green room, extremely nervous, and I used to drink back then. And I had a, I had a, a Hennessy with a little bit of Red Bull. <laughs> I said I need to do something to calm my nerves down because it was sold out at my, Mark Rickley's Comedy Club in Detroit. And Lewis like, hey, how you doing? I said I'm a little nervous. He said, no. Nah. He said, just go out and have fun. I said I was thinking about quitting. He said, why would you do that? I said I just feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be. He said, listen. Just go have fun and then um, understand that comedy is a long road, but don't put no pressure on yourself. Just go have fun, do the best you can do, and then we'll talk after you're set. And, and uh, I wrote my my uh, intro. He said, now nah, I want you to write an intro. I wrote on a card, and it's on my YouTube page, KJ the Comic. And I wrote, uh, my credit was, because I had some uh, sketches that had means and hits on YouTube, the Whopper Freakout back in the day. It had like me, Kevin Kraft, and Asa Thibodeau. We, he was a filmmaker, so we did this sketch, and it had over 10 million hits on YouTube about 11 years ago. And I remember I was in the green room, and I went out, and there was a lot of media there or whatever, and I had one of my best sets ever, and I came back on a high. And Lewis said, see, you got something special. You should just keep going. And I said, I will. And Kathleen Madigan was in the green room, and she said, you did pretty good with this set. And I was like, oh, fuck. Fucking Lewis Black said I had a good set. And Kathleen Madigan, I said, fuck yeah, I got to keep going, you know. And I've been rolling ever since, you know. I mean, I haven't, you know, achieved a TV special or none of that stuff, but. I think that's in the works. I just uh, learned to be in the moment with every show, give it 110, and then just enjoy the fuck out of it. And and I do, man. I have great, great time, great shows lately. Uh, I very rarely feel off my game, and I feel like I'm in a position where now I'm just enjoying it even more immensely because, you know, when you're married, you, you got this – I got to go for the weekend. <laughs> I get a little time out. <laughs> I get to do something I love to do and then come back. I love my family, but yeah, sometimes uh, as comedians, we need a little time to ourselves too. You know? I mean, you're going, I flash back to 15 years ago when you, you leaned over to your wife and you're like, I, I like this comedy thing. I want to try it. And then you, you see these moments and you get these, these things that you probably never predicted, these feelings that you never predicted while you're up on the, that stage and just like, holy shit, I am where I am supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for, for me, I, it's just like lately I've been like really grateful for the craft, like really humbled by it, like really enjoying it uh, and really just excited for the future with it because – my wife, my second wife, Angela, who came in my well, after year one or two of comedy, she's seen me bomb a few times. She's seen me, and then now she she'll come to the show. She's like, "Oh, you fucking amazing! You know, you killed it tonight." Uh, and uh, I was like, "Thank you, baby, for supporting me and, and allowing me to to be who I am and not put." you know make me get a job or say you got to do this you got to do that she kind of know that I'm not going to quit 
she know that there's some pot of gold at the end of this shit <laughs> or whatever it comes but she is very encouraging and uh you know as comedians you often need a positive influence in your life you know somebody just say hey you know you're gonna be all right just keep going just keep going don't worry about where you at just understand it's a it's a, it's a, it's a marathon it's a long journey just keep going uh <clears throat> Tracy Ashley, who came out of Acme, just recently got her break at what twenty year twenty, uh, where Tiffany Haddish put her on. We we ready. Mm-hmm. She started here at Acme, just kept going, and she, you know, she probably didn't know that. You know, she knew she had had faith, but um, it's just so gratifying to see someone like that. You know, get a break and and break through. You know. Yeah, I think it's cool, and it's a it's a testament to those guys because you, you've seen them go through the ranks and see them show up mm-hmm. at those open mics every single yeah. night trying new jokes and yeah. trying to build what they got. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a tough game because there's just so much highs of high and highs and lows of lows. Like, I've, I've been doing this for less than a year. Like, I can barely call myself a comedian or whatever I even am. <clears throat> but, man, bombing might be the worst thing of all time. Whereas, like, when you kill – then you feel like you were yeah. describing earlier. You feel like you're unstoppable. And you know what? I've started to look at bombing different over the years. Like bombing is actually good for you sometimes. It's a learning tool. If you look, if you take the perspective that, okay, why didn't this performance work or these jokes work? And you you actually take a, a learner's perspective from it. Like, hey, what can I learn from this? What can I go back and tweak and then come back? Or was my energy off? Was I not into it? Was I, was I, was it, was I present? Was I present when I, you know, you could go back and learn from it. And every now and then, no matter how many years you've been into it, you have an off night. You will, and it will reset you real quick. It'll humble you. It'll bring you down. You'll be on a wave, and then whoop, you, it'll bring the comedy gods have a way of humbling your ass. It'll bring <laughs> you down, and you reset, and you, and it'll make you hungry to get back on the mic again because you got to wash away that last experience. And you got to have a short memory, like a hooper. If a joke not working while you up there, you got to have a short memory. Let it go. Okay, what I got next in my brain? Because, you know, we multitasking in our head. Like, what I got next? What's going to hit next? And uh, you just got to be able to just keep going and multitasking your brain. It's like, hey, it's all right. You know, I'm going to learn from it, you know. But some people, you know, like younger comics, or some of them, they're like, oh, shit, this is not good. And then again, it, it hurts your confidence. They get inside your head. You get inside your feelings. Whereas if you take a a learner's approach, you become a better professional because you don't look. If you keep a sense of humor when you're bombing, you're not bombing mm-hmm. because you have a sense of humor and passion about what you're doing. So that's not bombing. You just have an offset. Mm-hmm. And if you keep a sense of humor and you're not, you'll never bomb. It's just like maybe people didn't get it, but you are the, are the, the orchestrator of that journey. You're the orchestrator of your set. So if people don't get it, then don't think that they're, that, you know, some people laugh inside their head. It's cerebral. They, they don't laugh out loud, but they might tell you after you're saying, you know, that was pretty good. Just, just cause, and people do corporate go through that stuff all the time. Who do corporate gigs? Mm-hmm. You know, they just, 
you know, they scared to laugh because their boss is there. Right. <laughs> but no, man, it's just the approach to looking at at what what bombing is. Mm. It's just yeah, I knew I wasn't getting laughs early in my career, but then I came out of Brave New Workshop. I came out of sketch comedy theater and I did a few plays. So I had to learn how to joke write. I had bought five joke write books. So people who say, oh, if you ain't born with it, you ain't got it. That's bullshit. You can learn your craft. You can learn how to formulate jokes by writing and taking them to the stage and working them out. Everybody don't learn this comedy shit the same way. Some people, yeah, might have it naturally, but I think a lot of times is what young, what comics forget is to keep a sense of humor, keep the comedy in your heart and let it flow. You know, if you got a sense of humor, you keep that shit in you, in your heart. And then as you develop, it only gets stronger. It only gets stronger and stronger. But people keep, they lose it sometime in their heart. They become jaded by life and bitter. And it shows when they hit the stage. No, you can't come up and try to entertain somebody and you mad as fuck about life, the fuck out of here. You can't do that. You want to have the flavor or comedic energy in your heart so it exudes in your performance. Yeah. When did you realize you needed to start going to these these classes or these uh, these groups to, to hone in your craft? The writing uh, uh, aspect. Yeah. Uh, the writing aspect. I, uh, I knew right when, when I felt like um, I wasn't constructing the joke the, the right way. I was. I had too many topics in the setup. I said, "Hold on, now, this shit ain't right." <laughs> I need to a start with one topic and then develop different punchlines from there, but introduce them to one topic. And then develop stuff. And then you can add on, you know, the tags and the different punchlines. But, you know, you don't want to have too many topics in the beginning of a joke or the setup. And then I do, I learn to write in about four or five different styles. Like I might do a storytelling bit, a traditional premise setup, punchline, a one-liner, a riff and rat, an observation, and improv. And it's complex, but that's my voice. I get to express all my life experiences through those four or five different writing styles. And it works for me because just a student of the craft. I'm a student of comedy. I look, I study, I look at what, how stuff works for successful comedians. And I figure, well, let me figure out what's going to work for me. And that's what each comedian has to figure out. What What is your voice going to be within your expression or your creative or your imaginative expression? How do you, how are you going to put that out there that best represent what you want your funnies to be about? Mm. And that's one thing that, that I found that works for myself. Nice. Yeah. How long did it take to like find your voice or the thing that you were most excited about making people laugh <laughs> it took a minute man i would say it took year four or five for me and they say oh. usually it take three years but it took about four or five years before i really feel like you know comedy is really about saying what you want to say it's about your point of view and you can't not be fearful of saying what you want to say you have, you have to take a fucking fearless approach like you've got to be hella confident to sell a fucking joke 
You can't be like, oh, they might not like this. This might be too PC. Fuck political correctness. Comedy is the last refuge of freedom of speech. It is. It is why I do it because spoken word, I could rhyme and and whatever. People are like, hmm. <laughs> you know. Poetry slam. Yeah, you know, like, no, nah, I really want to make a joke about uh, Black History Month or I really want to make a joke about uh, sex or I really want to make a joke about, uh, you know, people the way they drive on and when the I when the roads are icy black ice and why is it considered black ice you know <laughs> why can't be clear whatever <laughs> why y'all put black bad shit when it's shit's bad it's got to be black and shit you know hold on now <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's where comedy comes in where you can expand people's horizon with a good joke you know they'll go home and think about it you know what i mean like yeah that's that's true you know why is it called black ice it's just fucking ice (laughs) (laughs) it's fucking fucking ice with a troubled past you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) so but comedy allows allows us comedians to express different points of view and if most comedians need to remember that you're giving your point of view through uh, one of the most difficult art forms in the world. It is. It's just not as easy as people think it is. It's, you have to do some 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 research a little bit to. And if you watch comedians and cars with Jerry Seinfeld talking about, it, he had a joke he worked on for seven years. And uh, some of the great ones they stitch jokes together, and then finally, boom, voila! It's it's, it's gold. It's hot. Yeah. I think that just the commitment to put a joke together for that long is just like incredibly foreign to me because I'll go up and, you know, I'll build a joke for a week. And if it's not, if it's just not getting a listening emotion, I'll typically just bag it. And I'm sure that's not the way to do it. Or, and you got to do kind of a judgment call for each thing, but yeah. it does. I mean, it puts like, things in a perspective put, a little more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I mean, some bits, you know, they may not never go go anywhere, but some bits, if you if you stick with it, and uh, you know, you might something might come to you a year later, like, oh, I could use this for that joke mm-hmm. to, to 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 tweak it around. Yeah. I could use this, um, and that's how it that's how it happens. Uh, the fantasy football joke I, I I wrote I wrote because I had a bit about. Uh, my wife saying something crazy to me, you need to date me again. And, you know, comedy comes from a very reality-based place. And I was like, babe, I can't date you again. She's like, why? I said, because when I was dating you, I was dating other women too. <laughs> and she, she's like, oh. <laughs> she's like, you know, I said, that's why I married you. You got the MVP. And, oh, she mean, you said, she said, oh, you mean like, I, I was your most valuable player. I, I, then she said, "I was your point guard." I'm like, yeah, man, you you my point guard. You know, you 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 the most valuable player here. You know, you, you know now post up, dribble these balls, and I finger roll. <laughs> <laughs> Set up the assist. <laughs> you know. And she, then I added, I flipped the joke recently. You know, like now, I might say when she's not at the show. <laughs> 
I was like, instead of her, she'll say, you know, was I your star point guard? Was we like love the movie Love and Basketball? I said, eh, baby, you more like my power forward. Now nah, you gained a little weight. <laughs> <laughs> and so I developed uh, from that, I developed uh, fantasy football. And the tag for that is um, after I do that joke, I said, you know, you know, she calls it reverse. I was like, hell no, I ain't licking no ass, you know, because I'm just telling you from the punchline. Yeah. I said, we need to go back to that other role play night when we was playing love and basketball and I was dribbling two, two asses and you asked me where to shoot. I like that game better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, so that's how I went back. It's a call back from – from previous time, yeah. yeah, from the date joke. So callbacks are great, you know. But yeah, I, I, I found that in the moment over the weekend. I said, yeah, we need to go back to the love and basketball role play night where I dribble two asses and you ask me where to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and comedy is 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 just cruelty making love to itself. You know what I mean? Is 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 it's subjective you know relationship people out on date night they they'll probably love it you know it's fun like i don't do politics or or religion material it's Mm -hmm. not it's not my strongest thing although i study it and and know it but i i don't want to divide a room yeah you're not passionate about it necessarily no i'm not you only do what you're passionate about like Mm -hmm. for me politics i've seen comics do it and i've seen them divide rooms you know and some some of them are that's their niche they're great at it and they're able to pull it off i I don't feel as confident that i can pull it off like i might have something that scratches the surface about it but no it's not it's not something i really want to write about you Mm -hmm. know what i mean the writing game is, you know, and developing new material, there's ebbs and flows in there. There's strikes and gutters. It's It can be an average quality because there's so much hit or miss. Yeah. And this is our favorite time to ask the average quality question. Okay. Because we're two wildly average guys, and we love talking about our average qualities. So, KJ, I'd like to ask you what your average quality is. My average quality is is the ability to to just keep courage, man. Just keep courage. It's just, just like when you hit with some challenging shit, just like, you know what, it's going to be all right. Let's just keep plowing through this shit and just keep feeling courage, you know, keep courage, you know. So, but yeah, you know, that's my sometimes the challenge is just to keep yourself encouraged, keep myself encouraged, you know. Like sometimes, I, you know, you can get ahead of yourself thinking, you know, oh, I should be here, but nah, you're right where you're supposed to be. This is life. Live life where you're at now don't don't sometimes i feel like uh, i'm greatly misunderstood you know like sometimes i feel like the city doesn't give me enough love or they don't understand me or but sometimes i realize maybe they don't know me so because well that's why you're on this podcast you know you gotta let people know about kj yeah i appreciate it man (laughs) this is dope man because you know uh, everybody goes through that sometimes you guys will go through that you'll feel like People don't understand you or they don't know you or sometimes I feel like I don't get enough opportunities in the city. Like, especially when, like, big names come to the city, you know, the promoters, you know, you call the radio station, you know, like they say, Michael, Mike Epps here, whatever. I wanted to be on that show, maybe open it, you know, showcase. It's hard, man. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. And 
you know, you can get inside your feelings, but I choose not to. I choose to live with extreme, highly level, high level of confidence and peace and just like let it go, you know. Hey, it came, it went, man. You did you, you gave it a shot. You did call and ask. You did, you know, and you know, you can get on. So let's let's just keep it moving. I love that answer. I mean, that is so thoughtful. I mean, having courage in the toughest times is so fucking hard. And because it had, I mean, you can get punched in the face and you just want to sit on the couch and, and just be like, I'm done. Yeah. And I mean, and it can happen time and time again before you start feeling like better about yourself Absolutely. and that just keep having courage, keep having courage, reminding yourself that, I mean, that's a huge takeaway. And I appreciate you sharing that. Oh, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the, when you, when you draw from, uh, maybe y- yourself or other people where, or in those tough times, like, are you drawing more for yourself from the courage? Or are you drawing from like the other people? I, I think it's a it's a combination of both. You know, you draw from yourself and you remind yourself uh, the, the the miracle of life. You know, like I've been through some tough situations in life, and I'm still here, and I'm still grateful. I mean, you know, I had some, and then you have friends who or family members who call upon and and they'll tell you to keep going man don't worry about it and then like you have different experiences that remind you like if you've been in near-death situations like i I was in a couple of them with food poisoning or growing up you know you're around a salon and people are shooting and you know you don't get hit and or your dad shoot at you you know my dad shot at me, you know. No oh. shit. Yeah, he shot at me, but he knew what he was doing. It was a calculated shot. Like, I'll tell you the story uh, if it's okay. Can I say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I come on a big family. My mom sent me to stay with my dad. He lived like cross town. At the time, we just moved back from Toledo, Ohio, to Omaha, and I went to stay. She seemed to stay with my dad because I was being bad. My dad's like, "Hey, um, don't you go up the street." and party with them Avery boys because all they like to do smoke weed, drink, and party and do drugs. And I'm thinking that's what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I went up there and them boys got me higher than a hippie, man. I, I They was, they was, you know, they experienced that, at, you know. And so I came home, you know, I'm newly with my dad, but you know, I, I've been knowing him my whole life, but this particular time, uh, my mom sent me to stay with him and, uh, came home and I was high I was fucked up I'm sitting on the couch like this and uh, he said get in there and wash them dishes and the drugs in me said fuck them dishes <laughs> he looked at me and he said what you say and I remember he walked back to the room and he came back and he said what you say and the, and the drugs had a lot of confidence and they said it again fuck them dishes and then he shot like my father used to be like some type of police cadet, police training, Air Force in college. So he shot like eight inches above my head, right? And I jumped up like sober. Twelve years a slave. I started washing them goddamn dishes. <laughs> I painted the kitchen. Uh, I planted a garden. I cut cut the grass. I washed all the cars. I cleaned the house. I mean, I went on a, a cleaning tear for like two. I clear, I cleared my whole chore list for the whole summer in two days. He must have felt bad for me. He's like, "Come here, let me talk to you." Now I brought you in this world, and I take you out. Now what you gonna do with your life? And I like, pops, man. I think I'm gonna go to college and get the hell away from your crazy ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, "This is the funny part." He said. 
you lucky I wasn't drinking because I would have Marvin Gage your ass. <laughs> 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 and I thought about it. I said, oh, he talking about Marvin Gaye who killed, who, you know, dad shot and killed him, the R&B singer, yeah, Marvin yeah. Gaye. I it thought of me. And then he said, um, he, you know, he just said, man, I love you. I wasn't going to shoot you, but I was sending a message. And then that one bullet, I went on my grades, went up to 3.0. <laughs> I started balling out of my fucking mind. I started getting basketball scholarships, offers from Iowa State, different college. I started balling out of my mind. And and and, and my and my mom, I went back home. My mom said, she called my dad. She, she said, what, what, what did you do with this boy? Because... He just on it, and, he, and my dad said I was about to fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to put him in the box and six feet under. And my mom was like, "Well, he changed. He he on it now." And then uh, twenty years later, I, I went back home. I said, "Dad, remember that time you shot me?" He said, "No, I ain't never did nothing like that." I said, bullshit. I took that mirror off the wall and showed him that hole in the wall. <laughs> I, I said, you did that shit. I said, you crazy as hell. I said, most young black men was worried about getting shot out in the street. I was worried about getting shot at home. You and your your JB, look at you. Your JB and your pistol on the table. I call that JB, that bottle of scotch, that jokes and bullshit. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, that shit scared me straight, man. And, um, uh, to this day, I, I I still do that bit because it it just remind me that he he set me straight, man. He set me straight. Man. He went he he got you going mama mentality before Kobe. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. He 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 set me straight, man. But like it's experiences like that that I, I reflect upon that that keep me humble and and yeah, it's it's interesting. I said we yeah twenty years later we had a conversation. About I said yeah, dad, you was crazy. You you skipped over like. You never whooped me. You just you skipped over a hundred ass whipping and th- threw a bullet at me. <laughs> <laughs> calculated too, you know, like calculated, like you know. And then you did it in front of my aunties, you know. And I'm like, he's like, he said, but I had to, I had to set you straight, man. You know. And back then, you know, old school cats in my culture didn't play. If you had a father, you had a real father. You know, at least I did. I can't speak for everybody. You mm-hmm. know. You know. Damn. Yeah, Dude, he, that is yeah, one he, hell of a story and yeah, experience, man. He, yeah, he passed four years ago with liver cancer, but he's been a, a positive influence even though you have these different experiences. I, I still wear, like, the OG f- fedora hats because of him. You know, when he passed, I collected all his fedora hats and added my collection, so it's a little bit a part of my shit. When I really, on the road or whatever, I, I wear fedora hats because of him. Right on, man. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. That's freaking mm-hmm. sweet. Um, so I'm transitioning to the next question seamlessly. Um, this is what's in your back pocket. So this could be your dad. This could be fedoras. This is something that you, uh, rely on when pressure becomes stress and anxiety is rising. It's usually a great reminder of something to help you come out on top. What would be that? Um, it would be family, you know, like my pops that we just talked about, um, um, keeping the dream alive that he couldn't achieve like he was a living room comedian like i got my first taste of comedy from him like i came home from college one time 
and I had gained a lot of weight. I, it was after basketball season. I was drinking cake, smoking bud, you know. And he looked at me. He said, damn, boy, you gained a lot of weight. You ain't been working out. I said, what you talking about? He said, you got that big-ass stomach on you. I was like, oh, boss, man, this – this more cushion for the pushing, more love for the ladies to handle. And he said, you know what they say about a man with a big stomach? I was like, what? He said, it's like a tombstone over a dead dick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My cousin was there. He was laughing his ass. I said, what you mean? He said, every time you go to get something, you're going to have to dig that motherfucker up. <laughs> Oh, he was a living room comedian, man. He used to roast us. I used to watch my sister get roasted sometimes. My sister came home from high school one time. She said, Pops, I met this guy, and uh, I like him a lot. What you think I should do with him? And Pops said, not a damn thing. <laughs> you tell him that I, and she said, and first he told her, you. first of all, he done all he wanted some draws. Let me tell you that. And then he told her, you tell him that I bought them draws and you better keep them draws on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told her. I'm laughing. He said, I buy the draws around here and you wear them and, I ain't, and, and you keep them on your ass. And, and yeah, he used, to, he used to crack everybody up. He came by. Nobody was off him. He's like the Red Fox... Paul Mooney, Dick Gregory, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin rolled up in one. He, Damn. Yeah, he was real intelligent, but Imagine. he had like, man, he had crazy comedy, man. I mean, Shout out to Papa KJ. Yeah, the legacy lives yeah, on. man. He he was funny, man. Mm -hmm. He used to roast my, like, he remarried. He used to roast my stepmother. Like, he used to say stuff that was hilarious to me. I, one time I was coming home. I said, Pops, where are you going? He said, I'm going to take your, your step uh, mom to the uh, the beauty salon. So I said, oh, you finna take her to get her hair done? He said, nah, she ain't got no goddamn hair. She's just gonna get her head done. They gonna slap some oil on it and massage it to make her feel good. <laughs> good, and hopefully she'll come back and make my head feel good. <laughs> he was stupid like that, man. <laughs> I bet it was a riot too, man, with freaking eight siblings and or just eight other family members in the room. I mean, that's gotta be a riot. Yeah, but I mean, my parents divorced mm -hmm. young at five, so we, we, uh, and then I have half brothers and sisters, so we, the first three of us got the same dad. Got it. Then, but we, he treated us all like he he loved everybody, man. That's and awesome. Even though, you know, they might have, you know, their father might not have been in their life, but he acted as a pops to all mm -hmm. everybody, which was dope, you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, I mean, that's that's going back to what we were talking about earlier. Like your your dad is is that leader that role model that's you know everyone love everyone E L E he's yeah. he was that role model in your life and I mean look at you now like doing the exact same thing projecting that love that positivity on everybody else man so well, thank you man it's freaking awesome stuff mm -hmm. appreciate that man.
And then our next question is, uh, it's a challenge question. And we've been, in the year 2019, we've had over 100 people from the Twin Cities on this couch. We're, t- we're dominating the sandbox, okay. with the sandbox being the Twin Cities. Right. And we've only touched the surface of the people here in the Twin Cities, and we want to continue that on. So, KJ, I'm curious if you got anyone else that you'd like to challenge us to go after and get, that you'd be like, these guys, these people, these gals would be a great fit for the Back Pocket Podcast. Um, I would say one of my cohorts for our sketch comedy, friend of mine's uh kevin Kraft, who helped we got millions of hits on with the whopper freak out uh i've been knowing uh for a long time uh i would say kevin Kraft and uh boyman freeman okay okay i don't know if y'all know boyman i do not know boyman freeman was around when i first started he was like a tall guy he's from liberia but he's been in america a long time him and Kevin Kraft would be two guys that I would I would recommend. Right on. Challenge yeah. accepted on both fronts. Yeah. Appreciate that. I mean, this is this is awesome because we get to I mean, I don't know if someone specifically challenged to have you on the podcast, KJ, but there's been a few people that it's been like a train of uh-huh. like five, six people and you just keep going down the line. So uh-huh. when we get someone such as the people you just brought forth, like it's just gets so exciting because then we get to draw back on these experiences when they come in, right. and it's a, it's a it's a it's a cool time for us. Yeah, you you like both of them guys. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they uh, Boyman does a lot of sketches. He is he's more like a very high energy, intelligent comic. Kevin does he makes a living doing small towns white white small towns he makes a living doing every small town he can across america he feeds wow. he feeds his family doing that he's one of the guys that are called like literally every day and want to talk about comedy or like we're good friends we, we hoop together and stuff like and boyman too boyman might tell you that i almost we was playing and i think he he got hurt he ran into me or something we were playing hoops and he got hurt a little bit uh, he's like you dangerous to be around on the court <laughs> you stonewalled him <laughs> uh i think he ran into me or something but boyman is hella funny man and then it, you know they'll probably recommend other I, it's so many people that i could recommend but it's you know i'll just start with those two. that's perfect awesome. absolutely Thank you, man. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, this has been a great podcast. We, you know, we'll congratulate ourselves for asking great questions. But, yeah. I mean, to you, man, you've been having some great answers, just great story all, all around. So, thank you. Uh, oh, thank you, man. And, you <clears> know, <throat> as a as a, as a a guy, man, I thank you, Andrew. And Decla- De- how do you pronounce your name? De- De- Declan. 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 And uh, I, pre- I appreciate it, man. And maybe I'll come back someday in the future after I, you know, some some hopefully something big is you happening. make your break dude yeah that's pretty much the only yeah. way you're coming back yeah. on, to be yeah. honest absolutely <laughs> Just man. but so. hey um before we close up you know we we've been peppering you with questions this whole time do you have any questions for yeah us? yeah i have just a couple of questions all right all right um, like you guys been doing 200 episodes already yeah yes what is the most interesting uh experiences that you feel have motivated you to keep going Mm. that's awesome um well, the first one that comes to mind um season three episode four chelsea larson came onto our show she's a kidney donor mm. and we we that's all we knew about her because someone mentioned that we should or she reached out to us and said i want to spread my story mm. and we were like absolutely she gave us like a little brief summary on who she is and that's all we knew about her and then she came in and we had an hour conversation and i mean i was in tears at one point it was so powerful just like how she was, she's like 25 years old. She had a roommate in college that 
Uh, she didn't know that well. That was under the weather and kind of just like disappeared at one point. Mm-hmm. And she caught wind of why she disappeared a few months later and ended up being the perfect match to donate her kidney to um, her r- previous roommate that she never really got to know that well. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. of this podcast, she she and was able to connect with... with not because of the podcast, oh, okay. but she, she wanted to continue... to talk about it. She oh, wanted to talk oh, about oh, it because okay. she's like, if I can tell my story, okay. then people are going to hear this and be like, it's not that scary to donate a kidney if someone else needs it that right. way. And, uh, you know, it's just like those type of moments that totally shock you when they come in here and they share those type of uh, those experiences. Yeah. Oh, that's dope, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good example. Another one would be... Uh, and these... I mean, these happen every every once in a while um but we had a uh we had well i'll tell two stories first one that comes to mind is uh we had a, a buddy who's in uh med school right now and mm-hmm. he came on the podcast named josiah been good friends with him for a long time um he went to creighton out in omaha oh actually. yeah i know i used to play ball there yeah i used to walk from the projects and play there it's right across the street from my old high school school, yeah tech high school yeah (laughs) i know about creighton and uh so he's there and he's sitting in class and uh i have another high school buddy from a long time ago i haven't talked to in a long time but he goes up to josiah and was like hey this is kind of a random question but were you on the back pocket podcast and josiah's like yeah of course and like what's really cool about that whole story is not necessarily or i mean it's great that he recognized him and everything but like I would have never thought that <clears throat> our podcast is get reaching like that far of an audience so wow. much to the point where people that are external from us are recognizing each other because of it. Wow. And I think just like that, that happens a lot, but I, I think those kind of experiences are always really rewarding. Mm-hmm. Another one in particular um, is this guy named Matthew Lopez chronics. He's like this guy who's always commented on my LinkedIn posts. Mm-hmm. I've been posting on LinkedIn for a whole year now. And uh, he's listened to, like, every single one of our podcasts. <clears throat> and uh, he sent us, like, a voice message on the podcast app. I don't even think I've showed you this yet. No, you haven't. I don't know the story. But on, wow. I'll, show you, I'll show you, like, after this. But okay. he left us a message and was, like, it was, like, it made me cry, honestly. It was, like, one of the more enlightened things because this guy, he, you know, he was, like, yeah, I mean, I was in a tough spot, blah, blah, blah. Um but you guys are, you know, doing the most with what you have mm-hmm. and are living out uh, the dream right, right now just with just with doing whatever you're doing. And you've inspired me more than you've ever imagined. I've never met this guy in my life. Wow. This guy is a total, you know, out bystander mm-hmm. in the sense. And I was just like, that's unbelievable. And I think what it really gets back to at the end of the day between those two stories is just like, when you get the appreciation, not because someone says they like your podcast mm-hmm. or they like what you're doing, but more so like you're actually making an impact in those people's lives. Uh-huh. That's when it's like the most rewarding. That's, that's, that's great. That's a dope, dope story too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why you guys do this. Uh, last question. And um, what would you say would be the, the commonality, the common, uh, not, am I saying the right commonality? Uh, between all your guests commonality okay commonality that's what I mean that's a tongue twister for me um, with the guests or have you ever experienced like having an awkward guest we have had awkward guests yes <laughs> I just wanted to know man absolutely and it's it's fun because because those ones they walk away and they're kind of shocked at 
how we were able to open them up because the first 20 minutes they're typically like an introverted person mm-hmm. and they had a cool story that we reached out to them and we were like can you come on the show and they were kind of hesitant like yeah sure okay right. i don't know what i would talk about and we were like oh yeah i know what we're going to talk about right. uh, but they are still sitting there giving us like two word answers and stuff and just kind of like put back and uh then we open them up and we get them comfortable because at the end of the day you kind of forget that you're here for an hour just talking to the mics it's just right. a conversation and they walk away and they're like super uplifted and they had a great time because at first they were like so reserved and introverted and then they realized actually I, I have something to say and they want to share it. So yeah. wow. it People comes full circle a little bit. Yeah. In yeah. terms of commonality, man, uh, it's interesting, right? Cause people ask us, you know, or, uh, it, when, when I'm telling people about the pocket, it's like, what is back pocket? It's like, you know, it's really hard to describe, you know, what it is because it's more just like a brand in a, in a, and uh, in the sense of, you know, you're a comic, the X, Y, we had like famous Dave on, who's an entrepreneur. We've mm-hmm. had, um, like our football coaches on, we've had just like our friends and you just span this wide spectrum of all kinds of different people that we've had an hour long conversation with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the commonality between every, every single person. And I would say every single great podcast is simply tripling down on yourself and having the self-awareness to do so but also accepting it too uh-huh. because sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like god i'm just I'm kind of a shithead or i'm not very good or i'm i'm right. just an average person but right. really when you look into that mirror when you come on the back pocket you start realizing like oh i have something to say like andrew said i i don't right. know what i will talk about but right. you know what there is something there and i think that when people are able to find that within themselves mm-hmm. is when they become the greatest. Okay. And I think that's really what, I mean, we bring on people such as yourself who have figured that out far before this podcast. We bring on people who are still trying, trying to, figure to figure that out. out. Yeah. And there's commonality in all of it because at the end of the day, we're all struggling. Right. We're all having these minor successes um, to just live our best life. Yes. That's simply what it is, man. It's awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have so much fun doing it and we're not going away. And, uh, if anyone wants to go see KJ and Declan perform November 9th. Um, Underground Music Cafe, 408 3rd Avenue North. It's in the North Loop right by Twin Stadium. Cowboy Jacks. Cowboy Jacks is off of 5th and 3rd. You know, if you come down 3rd, it's right there on the left-hand side. If you're coming up 3rd off of Washington, it's down the street from J.D. Hoyt's uh, on the right-hand side. So Absolutely. 408 3rd Avenue North. What time is that? I don't even know what time. We probably right? start by 8. Eight, 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 right eight, on. Eight, eight thirty show, and that link will be in the show notes for uh, everybody listening. So, perfect. I look forward to seeing you guys there. I, yeah. I, are you giving me ten minutes? How much? How much? Yeah, time? you're gonna do seven to ten minutes, man. Oh so, shit! So. I've never done that much. Time <laughs> you never before. done. Well, do whatever you feel. Just have fun. Come up. Do your thing. Okay. Um, just tell a bunch of people if y'all listening. Come on out. He's gonna do a set. And, you know, it's going to be a nice, warm, encouraging environment, very diverse crowd. And, Sweet. And it, it should be fun, man. I'm Me and excited. Jimmy have been doing it for a while. We we have fun. We have, we'll, we'll like, I'll do the Eventbrite tonight and send it to you. I'll take your picture and put it in Eventbrite so you can send it out. And we just try to sell some tickets and, and just try to have fun, man. We're just bringing in our own audience. It's not really a bringer show. It's just like, it's Jimmy and I, we know a few people and they, we just send it out and, you know, we just... We'll try to do a video or something, promote it. And, Absolutely. And, you know, I have a venue, so, you know, sometimes you have to produce things, too, just to, you know, just to have fun, you know. You know, I don't own a comedy club, so I got to 
create a comedy club environment, you know? Mm-hmm. You know? I love it. Yeah. That, thus, that's why we call it happy hour. Yeah, happy hour comedy, you know? <laughs> Let's go. Mm-hmm. Come, come and, and that brings us to our final question, KJ. What did you learn today from the moment that you woke up to we're having this conversation? What I learned today was, um, you know, sometimes you have to give yourself permission to sleep in or just do nothing hardly. Like, if you're tired, be aware. Just be aware that, like, coming off the road, and, like, I, I was supposed to get up earlier. I wound up getting up at 1130. And I just said, you know, I'm going to lay here and meditate a little bit and do a gratitude prayer, and then I'm going to start my day. And I just it's okay if you're tired or if you've been grinding or you're hustling. It's okay to rest and treat yourself. Just like, you know what? Hey, I'm my own boss right now. I'm I'm gonna lay in for a little bit before, and then I got up and I went and seen a friend who was in intensive care, uh, who had a, a ulcer that bust, and and I went and and tried to cheer his day up, and then I helped another friend who needed help pulling the battery out, and then I came here. So giving yourself permission to reset sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, to to you know treat yourself to extra rest, extra extra rest when you need it you know so that's what i learned you know don't don't stress about nothing it is what it is life will will keep going long after you're gone so be the best you can like you said be the best version of yourself on a daily basis if you need to treat yourself treat yourself don't beat yourself but treat yourself (laughs) i like that man a lot of gratitude in that Uh, yeah Yeah, well i mean you you've been this is a nice rest and reflection day where you've been helping other people you certainly helped us and i hope it you know helps anybody who is tuning in so i appreciate you man that was awesome oh thank you appreciate you guys i had a great time give it up for the back pocket of podcasts the back pocket boo y'all it's a wrap that's a wrap Well, I've been hanging on the west coast of my heart Right where I meant to from the start It's so much warmer than the secrets you've been holding in and don't you look at me sideways with those eyes Always acting like you ain't got the time I can't imagine trying to carry what you hold inside But ooh, you got a reason to sing And ooh, you're finding this sunny And ooh, you should go back to the start Cause you can't hold on to